All right, thank you. I'm actually going to have Kathy join me today. <clears throat> Give her a hand. Oh. You have a mic. This could be dangerous. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, uh, it's good to be back in the good old U.S. of A. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, for those of you who may not know, I was in Japan last week. Kathy and I were both in Japan, had a wonderful time dedicating the building, uh, reconnecting with some old friends, and actually meeting some new friends uh, that were actually, had mutual friends. It's just, I can't ex take the time to explain it, but but uh, the people I met there actually knew some of the people back uh, from uh, the church that uh, Pastor Ken came out of. and <clears throat> So we're connected, even though on the other side of the world. Um, jet lag has been really difficult this time for some reason. Also, I, I caught a cold the last day, so flying back at a sore throat. And I'm kind of over the cold, but you know, you, you lose your voice at the end, so hopefully I can make it through this uh, two sermons. That's why you got me up here. <laughs> you're going to fill in the blanks. Okay? <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. <clears throat> Help me communicate, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Right. Actually, I might preach shorter because it's going to be more difficult. <laughs> it's good to be home. How are you? <clears throat> Did you miss me? Did you notice I was gone? <laughs> Is it hard? Okay. So we've been talking about a healthy family series, and I actually think that this message today is the most important one. We talked about <clears throat> truth, tr uh, talk, communication. Last week, Sarah <clears throat> shared on the issue of honor and trust, and uh, I didn't have a chance to listen to it. She had, had already planned on speaking on honor, and I asked her to kind of twist it and, and shape it into uh, fitting into the series of uh, applying to family but really just the issue of honor and how that's important in a, in a, in a, to be applied both in family and in elsewhere. And then today I'm going to be talking about touching time, if I can make it. <laughs> uh, but to start off with, I just want to share, I've mentioned this before, if you know me, you may have heard this before, but my parents <clears throat> had a very troubled marriage. I was uh, one of five siblings. My parents got married when they were really young. And... Uh, uh, I'm almost pregnant. That's crazy. I shouldn't put this on the podcast, but there are some details we'll leave out. <laughs> you know, they were just kids. Um, and uh, kids having kids. And it was troubled. And uh, they got divorced when I was about 13. But during my childhood, I basically saw no physical affection in the home. Um, no loving touch. Um, no, no hugs. Uh, very little. I remember one time I was probably four or five, and you know when you're little, you, you kiss your parents goodnight. I remember I noticed that my brothers. I have three older brothers, and they never kissed my dad. And so it's weird. This this memory stuck in my mind of the things that you remember. You just don't know why. I decided that day, <clears throat> that night, that I wasn't going to go over to Dad and kiss him goodnight. I was just going to, you know, kiss Mom goodnight and go to bed. And he never noticed. And uh, from that time on, you know, it was decades before we probably touched. Um, and that sh shaped my life in a very powerful way. 
and you know, I didn't understand it then, but through my perspective now, how my life would have been different if my dad would have got up and sought me out and came in and said, hey, I missed giving you a hug and a kiss. You're still my son. Because as a little kid, I still needed it. You know? <clears throat> that didn't happen. So I grew up thinking that. As a matter of fact, one other memory that I have was that <clears throat> um, we got in the van as a family and we were going to go visit some relatives. And my mom and dad sat in the front seats and this shocked me so much that I remember it to this day. My dad reached out and grabbed my mom's hand, and they held hands. And I was like, wow, something really bad must have happened. <laughs> you know, that's the perspective I want you to have in understanding how my family life is that I couldn't imagine what tragedy happened that would cause my dad to actually hold my mom's hand. The world's coming to an end. <laughs> it's funny now, but it's sad that <clears throat> that was the, the, the life. And it was because they had emotional problems, they had difficulties, and it's not to blame them in any way. <clears throat> That's just how a lot of people grow up. Um, you know, and Touch is absolutely essential, an essential aspect of a healthy family life. And I understand that there's, there's a lot of uh, variation in family culture, you know. And you can say, well, our family's not a very touchy-feely kind of family. And some families are, like, hyper-touchy, right? He's like, please, give me a little space. <laughs> Yeah, we won't point anybody out. <laughs> and and so there's a there's an allowance for some variation based on your culture and personality, but it doesn't remove the fact that we are creatures created to be touched. You know what the largest organ in your body is? Your skin. It's filled with millions and billions of touch receptors. And so and there's so much that can be communicated through touch that cannot be communicated in any other way. And if we neglect this or abuse it, uh, we are seriously missing out on uh, and misusing a huge part of what it means to be human. All right? And what it means to be a redeemed child of God. Touch is absolutely essential. <clears throat> if appropriate, oops, if appropriate touch is denied, uh, a person he or she will feel and be deprived, and will develop symptoms as a result. Even if a mature person is able to up, overcome that deprivation, and you can, you can overcome. I've overcome, I think. Have I overcome some? I think so. It's been a process, though, hasn't it? It has. Yes. Serious. <clears throat> Serious problems that resulted, really, folks. My marriage suffered serious problems because I could, did not learn from my dad how to touch a woman appropriately, how to communicate love and affection because he didn't learn from his dad. All right? And I don't know the rest of it. It doesn't matter. 
So I had to go to school, and it was not fun. So I'm hoping to share, and I asked Kathy to be up here so that we could share. You know, this is super important stuff. And actually, it kind of weirds me out. <laughs> Sometimes I get around people like me. <laughs> I, I really actually don't realize how much I touch other people. Do, do I touch other people? I can remember before we had our breakthrough, a marriage retreat, where you touched Scott Jones constantly and he didn't touch me once. <laughs> Scott's pretty cute, though. <laughs> um, I, like, I touch people, I walk through a crowd, I'm touching people, I'm hugging people, you know. Yeah, and I really think that's just a Holy Spirit gift. I, I, it's, it's just... Yeah, you, 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 with, I think you have an ease at touching men and even, uh, you know, women platonically. Just a, a touch on the shoulder or something like that, and you breeze on, you know, it's uncomfortable. Right, but that was not my family culture. Zero. Uh-uh. My grandfather was a flirt. He kissed every woman he ever met. When I met his family, every male in his family asked me to kiss them. Yeah. I was, you know, 18. Yeah. No, I wouldn't yeah. let his brothers. But my grandpa and my dad. Yep, I let them. <laughs> they were schmoozers, let me tell you. Um, <clears throat> so, and then, like, when I come up and then someone I don't know comes and goes, hey, you know, I'm like... Who do you think you are, dude? You know, but I realize I do that all the time. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, but one thing is that I really believe that there is a, there's a power in touch. That it's so powerful. It communicates so much. It communicates, it helps people feel and know that they're loved and accepted. And our culture really lacks an appreciation of the value of touch. Uh, in fact, I think that we're either, in our culture, we either ignore it altogether or we relegate it to two, two aspects of either being childish and unimportant or being manipulative and demeaning it only to the area of sexuality. Okay? And that, that is a really, I'm going to talk a little more about that later, but if we see it only in those two ways. And, and what we need to do is we need to see all forms of touch as an integral part of having a healthy family, having healthy relationships, if you don't have touch right, it doesn't matter how much truth you have, if you don't have touch right, you're not going to have a healthy family. I don't think you have this in your notes, but um, um, the family that you got born again into yeah. and then lived with for like a month and a half or two months, talk about that. Summer. Yeah, they touched. They were Hispanics. Oh, my word. Jaime would kiss the man, the Lord, the Lord would kiss him all the time. Yeah. <clears throat> I think he still does. He if he saw, up. yeah. <laughs> so that, that was a big part of the breakthrough is that they were real, you know, all Hispanics and they hugged and touched and, and taught, prayed. Everything was all touchy and feely, so that made an impression. But if, it doesn't matter how much truth you have. If you teach your children everything, everything absolutely perfect, but you don't have loving touch, they're going to be deprived. <clears throat> if, you, if you talk to them as much as they could possibly want, uh, but you don't have healthy touch, they're going to be deprived. If you honor, and you have a relationship of honor and, and, and trust even, but there's not touch, there's going to be something missing. 
And so it can, nothing can make up for appropriate loving affection and touch. Touch imparts life. I'm going to turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Uh, it says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And the word form there literally is squeezing into shape to mold into a form like a potter molds a, a lump of clay. And so the word that God chose to put in Scripture was a word that meant he, he fashioned it with his hands in, in some way uh, uh, that God touched the clay and, and used, there was touch involved in forming us as creatures. And then it says he breathed into his nostrils. And the word nostrils can be literally the nose or it can be the face. And it, and it can also be translated the rapid, <clears throat> rapid breathing and passion. So this passionate you know, it was it was it was not dispassionate. It was passionate. It was full of life and love, and it was a it was an intimate, physical thing that happened. All right. <laughs> so he, I'm going to take your line, your punchline. Go for it. He caressed and he kissed us into life. He kissed us into life. You know, and that's that's really too. And we have to understand that that's how. Uh, mankind was first created, was, was feeling the touch. And Adam's first uh, sight, his first sensations, when he, when, just think of it, when, when, when he was not a creature and then he became a creature, he was being held, embraced by the Father, and he opens his eyes and the Father is breathing life into his face. Okay? So that is a very sensual very sensual. And, you know, since the Reformation, uh, especially in Western culture, you know, has, has separated um, uh, sensuality and knowledge as, as good and evil almost. And this idea that, you know, if something's sensual, it's bad. If something, and, and, and purity is just this intellectual or information type of understanding God. But that's not true. It's touch. God touches people still. How many have been touched by God? I've been touched by God. It's changed my life. I didn't just hear about Him. All right? <clears throat> and so the principle that we see in, in Genesis is that touch imparts life. And you and I are created in the image of God, aren't we? Okay? So if the, if the, if the, the primal example that God set was that His touch imparted life, and how and how do how is new life imparted in the species? Yeah, and how does it how does a how does a ba how does a baby get made? Lacey, would you like to come up here and explain? It <laughs> <laughs> <We> didn't. <laughs> Some slides. <laughs> Touch has something to do with it, doesn't it? Right? Huh? Come on, life. The expression of life. It's, it's, so touch is very, very important in the production of life. Well, <clears throat> from that principle, I want to just, just briefly kind of touch on the four uh, ask the, the four different types of love. Some of you may be familiar with this. They're based on the four Greek. There's four primary Greek words that uh, are translated love, um, 
Actually, only three of them are in the Bible. One is not, and one is only in, in the Bible once. But the ideas uh, that are represented by these different types of law, and in, in the English, I think we've really, if there's one failure of the English language, it's, it's love is, is misunderstood uh, because we use the same word. You know, I love, and I love ice cream, you know. Honey, I love you. Yeah, it's yeah. become very imprecise. Yeah, I love you like ice cream. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm as sweet as ice cream. <laughs> all right, and so, and so there's there's four types of love, and I think that each type of love have, has its own expression in touch. And so I'm just going to kind of plow through these four types of love and talk about examples of how. Uh, the touch needs to be involved in the expression of that kind of love. And if, if in any of these four aspects of love, touch is lacking, then you're going to be deprived. Or you're going to be depriving those people that are in that relationship with you. The first is philia, uh, is the Greek word, and it's best known as uh, friendship. Uh, it's love between friends. I'm going to quote here. Friendship is the strong bond existing between people who share common interests or activity. C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves, a book you should read, <coughs> differentiates friendship love as the least biological, organic, instinctive, gregarious, and necessary of our loves. It's interesting. Our species does not need friendship in order to reproduce. <coughs> he uses this point to explain that friendship is exceedingly profound because it is freely chosen. Lewis explains that true friendships, like friendship between David and Jonathan in the Bible, is almost a lost art. And actually, the opposite is usually thought of that, you know, family is so important and friendship is some lesser type of relationship. But it's actually friendships are, are really unique because you don't have to love that person. You know, there's freedom involved. There's a freedom of choice, which makes it uh, even more unique and almost special and I think representative of that we are a higher form of being, that we are created in God's image, that we can have love relationships with creatures that we're not dependent upon. Okay? First um, Thessalonians 4, 9. Aphilia is actually used quite a bit in the Bible. I'm just going to get one example. First Thessalonians 4, 9 says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you... You yourself are taught by God to love one another. And the word love in this, in this uh, verse is the filial-type love. So it's something that God teaches, and it's something that we... Um, it's expected within the congregation, within the body of believers, that we experience filial love, brotherly love, fraternal affection. And, you know, friendship touch is the type of touch that doesn't have ulterior motives. Okay, it's the pat on the shoulder. Hey, how you doing? You know, a handshake. <clears throat> and it's different between guys and girls, you know. I'd come up and Bill, I'm punching my dad, and that's cool. But if I did that to uh, 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 Mary Lee, it would be kind of awkward. Bill would do it back to you harder if you did it to Mary Lee. What? Bill would do that to you harder if you yeah, did that to Mary Lee. <laughs> so, so what would be an appropriate filial touch for, for me to uh, do... Uh, for Marilee. Hey, Marilee, how you doing? Good to see you. You know? <clears throat> and you know what? I can, I can do that when her husband's standing right here. But if I'm in a room alone, I wouldn't do that. 
period. I would get out of the room, period. All right? I never, I don't, very rarely. If I have to have a counseling session with someone, a woman that I'm married to, <laughs> which is, you know, there's someone else in the building where we meet in public place. So there's boundaries. <clears throat> but uh, we need to have filial love. Anything serious on that? No, okay. Uh, it must, um, it can be, uh, it can be uh, abuse uh, and manipulation. Now, a lot of people use this to manipulate. And so you have to be kind of on guard. Because, uh, uh, or, or, or people that are unhealed, they have issues in their heart. And actually, sometimes somebody can be completely healed up, but you've got the issue. And so you take everything as being a sexual innuendo because you're obsessed with sex. <laughs> and the person doesn't have sex in, in their mind at all. They're just being friendly. So, <clears throat> but it can be misused. It can be uh, misinterpreted. So you have to uh, kind of be careful on this. But you can't, uh, you can't say, well, I'm not going to touch anybody because I might make a mistake. Because then that's the bigger mistake. And, and <clears throat> um, you can't presume it. Uh, there was one time where we had a guest and, and somebody, first time guest in church. <laughs> and someone had a good heart, but they just came, came up and gave them a big bear hug. You know, that person bolted. You know, that was way too much intimacy. You know, they were like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, you, you have to learn uh, boundaries. Um, one thing that I learned that was really important <clears throat> is that touch builds trust. And this applies on every level. Remember when we learned that? Never forget it. Uh, it was not that long ago. <laughs> and uh, we were receiving counseling, and it was from a, a psychologist. And uh, it was a couple. And they were ministering to us. And when he said that, he said it was like, he said it like this is just a known fact. And when I heard it, I was like, I didn't know that. That touch builds trust. And he just said, you know, the way to build trust is through intimate touch. Um, uh, I was like, it just blew my mind. I had to think about it. And I think that if it doesn't, especially with your spouse, if it feels like awkward or unnatural, that is revealing there's some area of distrust, you know. So if that is happening, that's a, that's a, that's a good barometer. That if all of a sudden it feels awkward or weird to touch your spouse. There's a problem. Yeah, and, it's, and it has some issue with trust in somewhere. It might have anger in it too, but trust. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and it's the same thing with other people in a handshake. You, know, you, can, you, can, you catch some vibes. You know, that, those are real things. Right, and so on every level. I just also we do need to be careful about cultural differences. There, are, you know, there are certain um, groups of Americans who shake hands extremely softly, and but like in my culture, you shake hands heartily, and that's what feels like honest and good. But and so when someone shakes hands softly, it feels really creepy. But to them, that's the polite way to do it, and. And me coming and squeezing their hand to pieces is just like rude and, and intrusive and uh, way too intimate, you know. That's so. right. You need to be aware of cultural differences. The next type of love is storge. Um, and this, this is family 
relationships, um, especially parent and children. <clears throat> it's the Greek word storge, uh, and it's translated affection. It's actually only used one place, but it's it's referred to many times in the Bible. This concept of um, um, affection, like that felt by parents for offsprings, almost exclusively used as a descriptor of relationships within family. Storge refers to the fondness through familiarity, especially between family members, people who found themselves together by chance. You know, you just your 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 siblings are by chance. <laughs> you don't get to pick them. It's not like friends. Like you, you're just stuck with them. <laughs> but there's a love, and there should be a love that develops. Um, <clears throat> and the one place it is found is Romans 12:10. Where Paul says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. And that kindly affectionate is a, is a, is a form of the word storge. It's really a storge. Uh, <clears throat> in honor, giving preference to one another. And, but we have some examples of this. In Luke 13, 34, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. <laughs> See, so God wants to touch us in a motherly way, in that, in that care, nurturing type way. Or in Isaiah 66, 11 through 13, listen to this. Drink deeply of her glory, even as an infant drinks at its mother's comforting breasts. Wow. <clears throat> this is what the Lord says. I will give Jerusalem a river of peace and prosperity. The wealth of the nations will flow to her. Her children will be nursed at her breasts, carried in her arms and held on her lap. That's storge love. I, will I, God, will comfort you there in Jerusalem as a mother comforts her children. And so God wants to comfort us. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, there's a, a, a really, I don't think, personally, I think touch between a parent and child. I don't think my kids are in here. Um, is, Where are they? <laughs> well, my kids are probably in the foyer playing video games. <laughs> We're working on that. <laughs> uh, come here, Will. <clears throat> Do I ever touch you, buddy? What do you think about that? Is that all right? Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> 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 Do I ever tickle you? Yeah. yeah. So, all right, you can, you can sit, you can sit down. But, so. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> nurturing love and kindly affectionate, there's something that's communicated that way that cannot be communicated any other way. And even if you're uncomfortable, parent, deal with it. Talk about touching them when they get older, especially for men, daughters. <clears throat> Yeah, I think that um, I think that the biggest problem, that, uh, I think one of the uh, <clears throat> root causes of teenage promiscuity is because daughters have not been given loving touch by their fathers, and so they're desperately hungry uh, for touch, and they'll do anything to get it, including taking off their clothes and having sex with people. But what is the good reason why fathers sometimes neglect to do that? Because they're scared. <laughs> um, you know, when your daughter becomes a young woman, you know, I, have, I had to go through this. <clears throat> I had two little, little baby girls. 
that I just love touching and holding and and I just I miss them to this day. I miss my little girls. I see little girls and I just go, oh, I just want to I just want to hug them. <laughs> but then there's a point at which they they become you know women and you go whoa how do you deal with that and you have to learn how to uh, affection and touch without crossing boundaries how to be respectful but still be their dad because she's you know my girls are still my little girls you know so I, I you know I don't touch them in the same way because that would be inappropriate but I still have to touch them right? so important and guys my dad didn't understand how important it was to be to touch his sons as though a guy doesn't need to be touched. That's ridiculous. All right, he needs it just as much. Uh, and and so and, but you know it's like how do I how do I touch? It was actually really weird when I had to change my boys' diaper. I'd never touched that part of a man before. It weirded me out. He, he basically hardly ever changed the boy diapers. He helped with the girls, but he, you know, we had older daughters. I can't deal with it, all right? <laughs> you know, but little baby doesn't know that. Just, I just want to be loved. <clears throat> and so that family touch, I mean, it's just, I can't ex- express how important it is. And, and that if, you, if there's not trust in a parent-child relationship, maybe it's because you haven't been touching them enough. You know, healthy, loving, appropriate touch communicates love and acceptance. There's actually a medical condition called failure to thrive, where an, an infant is not physically touched enough during their first stage of life, can develop lifelong uh, disabilities, or even die. And they can be perfectly well fed and have their diapers changed on time and everything. But just not experiencing physical touch is a medical condition. Eros is the next I just realized that probably God designed breastfeeding for those who are able to do it to help meet that need because they're not getting, only getting fed, they're getting touched. And yeah. so, you know, if that works in a family, that's optimal for the child because it's, you know, it's meeting two needs simultaneously. Right. And that, the need for touch is real. Don't let any psychologist, I mean, even, even psychologists now accept it and understand it. But even if you bottle feed, you, there has to be a lot of touch. There has Absolutely. To be, there's a there's something about skin to skin that nothing else, nothing else can compensate for, as a child, as a young person, as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, eros is the next type of love, romance. Eros is love in the sense of being in love, or loving me. This is distinct from sexuality. Did you hear that? <laughs> This is distinct from sexuality. Eros and sexuality are distinct. They're related, but they're distinct. Which Lewis in The Four Loves calls Venus. So sexual love is Venus, is what you're saying. Yeah, he, he, he differentiates it by calling it Venus, which was the Greek goddess of, of sexuality. It is Venus <clears throat> that desires a sexual aspect of a relationship, while Eros longs for the emotional connection with the other person. And so eros, the idea in and of itself, now, <clears throat> uh, this is the root meaning of these words. How we use the words today have, have, has changed. Now, when someone says, uses eros or erotic, it's sexual. But there is a difference between the need for, 
deep connection, okay, that goes beyond filial love and sexuality. Okay, there's a difference. You can have sex with somebody you don't love. Right? It happens every day. All over planet Earth. Right? <clears throat> People have sex where there's no love. Alright? You can have love where there's no sex. You know? Uh, disability or other reasons may prevent sexual uh, sexuality within a relationship, but there can be deep love. So they're distinct things, but they should be connected. Um, <clears throat> uh, another source describes Eros as passionate love with sensual desire and longing. Modern Greek erotis means intimate love. However, Eros uh, does not have to be sexual in nature. Eros can be interpreted as a love for someone whom you love more than philia, love of friendship. It can also apply to dating relationships as well as marriage. So this gets a little confusing because Eros, <clears throat> I call, I would say this is romantic love or um, a deeper kind of love. <clears throat> and I think that uh, it involves passion and attraction. And, and romance is supposed to be involved in marriage, you know. And, and romantic love and that sparkle that you feel, hopefully, uh, um, you know, uh, is supposed to be uh, kindled in the relationship of marriage. It's really, really important. And <clears throat> but there's confusion comes in because because um, we don't understand love. I think that the confusion of sexuality that we have in our culture to this day is really uh, grows out of a confusion of love. We don't understand love. And if, and if the only expression of love in a physical way that we know is sex, then we'll try to fulfill our need for love through sexuality when that is not appropriate. Okay? And doesn't actually communicate love on those other levels and doesn't even necessarily communicate Eros love. Okay? If, if, I just, if I just have sex with Kathy, it doesn't mean I have any Eros love for her. It doesn't mean I have any deep desire for intimate communion and relationship. All right? What if I come up and just touch her cheek like this and put my arm around her and feel her warmth? We don't need to have sex, but we will. <laughs> I want to say that I just realized as he was talking that I think that Eros is like the cherishing aspect of marriage. And uh, it can lead to sex or it can flow out of sex. But it's, it's the cherishing. It's not the, the hunger, the bodily hunger. It's the cherishing. Yeah, there's a, there's a bodily hunger is a good way to put it. You know, and that, you know what? You're human. You've got to deal with this. Okay? If you're single... Uh, you're going to have sexual desires uh, that you need to learn how to control. Guess what? <laughs> I tell people when they get married, he says, you get issues in sexuality, marriage is not going to fix any of them. And nobody believes me. Every married couple that I have pre-marriage counseling with, they don't believe me. If one of them has a problem with masturbation, I say, listen, marriage is not going to solve that problem. And they just can't believe it. A couple years later, you come to my office, guess what? They still got a problem. 
because marriage doesn't solve it because it's a sexual problem. All right, it's a problem. <clears throat> um, so uh, uh, you need to develop in uh, your marriage relationship a um, an appreciation for eros touch. Okay, and even <clears throat> and, and and you need to recognize that. If you have a deep relationship with someone that's not your, your spouse, you can have a deep relationship and actually feel something that's kind of like, wow, there's, there's more passion here than I'm used to. And some people misunderstand that and think it's erotic love, and that's why they get drawn into homosexual relationships or infidelity, when really it's just, it's just a, a good form of deep, you really appreciate that. But... It doesn't have to go to sexuality. Am I making sense here? Yeah. Okay. And so there can be powerful felt love in a physical sense that, that you have to say, wait a minute, I love this person and there's passion, but this is holy passion. This is, this is a, a sensual engagement. And, and respect that. Do you think that might be like the storge? But it's an intense storge. You know, where a parent or a child, you, it's storge, where there's actually, it's a gut feeling, but it can be applied to other people. And you have to realize one thing when we were talking about this is that in any male-female relationship, and actually in our culture, because homosexuality is now uh, is, is almost promoted, you have to be a little careful because arrows can, can, can show up in any interaction. Okay? Um... You hear me? And so you need to say... And Venus. <laughs> and Venus, yeah. <clears throat> and so how can I touch in a way that communicates? And the appropriate thing is in marriage, you need to kindle arrows by uh, affection and touch and sexuality. Okay? It, it's necessary. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, says, Now concerning these things which, verse 1, you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Is that clear enough? Now concerning the things which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch. And you know what that word touch means? Touch. Like, touch. But he's obviously talking about sexual relationships in this in context. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife. And let each woman have her own husband. Okay, so if you're not married, you can't have sexual relationships with other people. That's what Paul's saying. And, the, and, and if you can't handle that, get married. And have all the sexual relationships you want. Okay? That's as simple as it is. When married, Paul goes on to say, verse 5, Let the husband render to his wife the affection. Okay. which leads to sexuality. It's not separate from sexuality. It should be connected. <clears throat> Do her. I owe her sex. And I like that he uses the word, or at least it's translated, affection. Because it's, that's, not, that's the Eros, that's not the, the Venus. It's like... I'm touching you because I like you, not because you can give something to me. Yeah. And likewise, also the wife to her husband. So in a married relationship, you owe that one another. Okay? It's not optional. 
And if it's not happening, you need to face your problem. You need to get counseling. You need to repent. Uh, and, and there's a cycle in marriage where it's easy at first and then things happen and we're all human. I think it's really important to let people know that almost every marriage that we've ha- had the privilege to look deep into have had seasons, long seasons, where neither Eros nor Venus was happening. And everybody feels like they're the only couple that's ever gone through that and they must be really weird and so they're very ashamed to bring it up and they're too embarrassed even to bring it up to each other and so it keeps going and uh, I just want people to know that you're not the only one and you can just break out of it okay that's not going to be that does not have to be your life from that moment forward uh, celibate marriage okay celibate marriage that it's not biblical but it, people fall into it left and right I don't I don't even know I, I wouldn't guess a percentage but I would guess way over half of marriages yeah enters periods of celibate marriage. It's not God's will, but it's just a trap people fall into. You're not alone. You can move out of it. There's help and there's healing for it. God can deliver you. But I'm telling you, this is what it boils down to. It's repentance. It's willingness to extend trust even when you feel, you know, because, and you know why you don't trust? It's because you've been burned. And you know why you've been burned? Because the other person's a human. And, and then you burn and, them. And then pride steps in because it's like, well, I made the move the last time and they turned me down, so I'm just not going to make a move till they, you know, they're going to have to make the next move or whatever, you know. And an embarrassment. Yeah. It's like, what, what is this, a chess game? What are you, <clears throat> you know, dude, love on her. Wife. And if you're coming out of that period, it can be awkward at first. It's very awkward. And, and it's just it's easier sometimes to run away from each other in that. Sure. You know, and everything is more intense. You know, usually, you know, sex can be intense, but it also can be lighthearted. But when you haven't had it a long time, it's extremely intense and extremely emotional, extremely scary. So go through the awkwardness and it'll get more relaxed. And one of the things that you can do, and you should just practice this, it just... You know, if, if there's a deficit, if you're not feeling you're getting enough touch, communicate it. And then how about you just sit on the couch and touch each other for 20 minutes? We have the best ritual in the world. Every night we sit on our downstairs couch. Uh, he has his back against the arm, one armrest. I have my back against the other, and our legs are all next to each other. And sometimes we're talking, sometimes we're reading or doing something on our computers, but we're touching for like two hours. And then in the morning, most mornings, we do our Bible reading that same exact way. That's only been a few years in our life, but it's my very favorite times of the day. Yeah, and there's, there's nothing that can replace that. Um, yeah, but when you're in the place where it's awkward or it's difficult or painful, just say, okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna touch for 20 minutes, see what happens. <laughs> Don't watch the clock. <laughs> and then talk about it. I I just feel I feel like you're gonna hurt me. Ah, good. You've just moved one step. And then talk about it. It's like what you were saying with the levels of intimacy two weeks ago about being able to go deeper in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Say just say what you're feeling. So I'm out of time. The last one is agape, which is a unconditional love. And that's <clears throat> used throughout the scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, 
And that's that unconditional love. Jesus demonstrated that when he touched the lepers. Uh, God demonstrated that when he took on a human body and walked through uh, and touched everybody uh, in, the body, in, in the person of Jesus Christ. And we're to demonstrate that by touching people who are unworthy to be touched. Okay? Um, the untouchables. And that can mean talking to someone uh, that, you know, is of the different opinion. You know, making contact with people outside of your cultural norm. That's agape love. That's loving on someone when there isn't any sparkle, when there isn't any relationship, when the, in fact there's opposition when they're your enemy. But you love on them anyway because unconditional love means I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love on you regardless of how you treat me. Okay? It doesn't mean that that love doesn't have a cost. It means that that love is constant. <clears throat> because if you come into the relationship and accept that unconditional love, it costs you your life. Does that make sense? That's God's love for us. The final thing is that time, and I only need a, a second to cover this part. <clears throat> Ironically. <clears throat> because time in this illustration is what we need to do all the other stuff. You need time to talk. Time to build tr trust. Time to communicate truth. And time for touch. All right? <clears throat> the amount of time you devote to a relationship reveals and determines how significant that relationship really is. Period. The amount of time you develop, uh, devote to a relationship reveals how important that is to you. And so if you spend more time on the computer than with your wife, if you spend more time touching the keyboard than you touching your wife. <laughs> That's a good word. Okay? That tells, that, that reveals something about you. And, and God says, you know what? This, this is way more interactive. <laughs> <clears throat> Come on. And it doesn't matter how old you are or young you are. It's, it's, it's overwhelming. Or even in friendships. You know, relate to people, real people. I'm sorry I went over. Those can have a challenge getting everything else in. Please give them your attention. <clears throat>